Hello and welcome again to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and today we have with us Dr. Jesse Jones, co-director of the Centre for Successful Aging at California State University, who has written a number of books about successful aging. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones, your main interest is in exercise and successful aging, I believe. That's correct. And why is it that you believe that successful aging can occur with a, I presume, specified exercise program? Because uh, a lot of the research and also my uh, experience in working with older adults for so many years has shown me how important it is for reducing uh, diseases and improving the quality of life and getting people to be more, have more vitality and feel better about life in general. And where, where did you begin this sort of research or interest? I started, uh, actually when I was going to college, I was working in a nursing home and I realized that a lot of people in the nursing home were there just because they were so unfit. It wasn't because they had Alzheimer's, but rather because uh, they didn't have the muscle strength to get off the toilet seat or to shower themselves. And so I started an exercise program in the um, 19, late 1960s and um, saw that I could get people out of the nursing home by just helping them to improve their uh, physical abilities. And, of course, that warmed my heart. <laughs> I decided oh, this is the area that I want to get out there and help people. And that was how long ago? In the late 1960s. The late 1960s, gosh. What were you doing at college? Uh, I was a physical education uh, major at the time. Okay. And um, in adaptive physical education, helping people with disabilities. And then what happened next? Uh, then I went on, um, and actually I was uh, doing a lot of coaching and teaching at the high school, but it wasn't very fulfilling to me because mm. it didn't get me the immediate results and the students didn't really care to be exercising. <laughs> so I went back and got my master's and, and then doctorate um, and you specialized in the area of aging? Yes. Because that was by then your main interest? Yeah, that was my main interest. There wasn't much going on um, back in the 70s and 80s in this area. Mm. Mainly people just said uh, to older adults, just don't do too much, uh, you know, don't hurt yourself. Yeah. There weren't very many trained instructors out there, so people, the doctors basically were saying, you know, take the pills, go home, relax. Yeah. So, bit of an attitude. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I just uh, decided to stay in this area and help train uh, people to be instructors and moved on from there. Mm. I noticed that you've written a book for instructors, Physical Activity Instruction of Older Adults. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, basically uh, throughout the... Uh, not just the United States and Australia, but throughout the world, there weren't any guidelines right. on who worked with older adults. In fact, there's more guidelines for people being hairdressers. <laughs> you know, if you need a license to be a hairdresser. Why does that not surprise me in this day and age? Why? <laughs> but 
But you don't need any uh, education to work with older adults. And you know, there's a fine yes. line between safe and dangerous exercises. So, um, including Australia, there were about 16 other country representatives, and we developed international guidelines to train physical activity instructors of older adults. And now, throughout the world, there are training programs, and uh, I felt that uh, that was one of my callings to make sure we had quality trained instructors. And prior to you doing that, was there a movement toward this? There were uh, a few other individuals that were moving towards developing different types of training programs. Certainly a lot of the research was coming out saying how how important exercise was for reducing disease states and improving function. And so with that came uh, a development of programs. But unfortunately, there were a lot of programs, but they weren't testing the effectiveness of those programs. And mm. so um, then there became a movement on you need to show the efficacy of your program, and then they had to have quality instructors. And so we've moved a long way, and I'm really excited to, to see that. So in terms of, um, I saw somewhere that you were an expert, you, you developed um, an assessment method, I suppose, for the efficacy of these programs. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, it's called the Senior Fitness Test. Right. It measures the different physiological parameters, such mm-hmm. as, strength, endurance, flexibility, mobility, and balance. And the tests are very easy to give, and it's now translated into 17 languages. And when a person takes the test, you can have an immediate feedback because we have what is referred to as a criterion measure. Uh, If you score, for an example, getting up out of the chair going as quickly as you can, eight feet, and around a cone and then back to the chair. If you can't do that within eight and a half seconds, we know through our research that you are at a high risk for potential falls. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then uh, a physician, or if I was an older adult, I would say, oh, well, I need to intervene here or I'm going to be... You know, next thing I'm going to find myself is with a broken hip. Mm. So it's, these assessment tools help us to find out what are the weaknesses in the individual and then uh, develop and, uh, specified exercises to improve on those areas. Mm. And when we're talking, I guess, what we should do first off is categorize who is an older adult? Who is, ah, it's a state of mind almost, huh? Mm. Um, but uh, it depends on um, certainly the country, but I would imagine plus 60. Of course, now that I'm 60, I always go, well, that's not old yet. <laughs> <laughs> of course, 20 years ago, maybe 60 was old. Uh, mm. That's, that's uh, now true. Now I think it's been pushed up. Mm. So it's more when you're considering whether you should be exercising or not. You know whether you should what what sort of exercise you should be undertaking. Yes. Given your limitations, in other words, the senior fitness test is something that can be done on people who do have health problems. I presume. Oh yes. Uh, you know the senior fitness test can be done actually 
even if you're not a senior, we're, we've been using it with uh, a lot of the clinical populations that are younger. However, the norms or being able to compare yourself with others your age and gender, it starts at the age of 60. Right. And from that, you can specify a physical activity, um, appropriate physical activity. Is that what the fitness test is about? Yes. Taylor uh, making a program to that individual? That's correct. For an example, um, uh, one of the tests is sitting on a chair and seeing how close or how far you can go beyond touching your toes with your legs straight, with one leg straight. And that will let us know if you have tightness in the, like your hamstring. And, and tightness in the hamstrings causes a lot of back problems and also causes, for some older adults, they can't even, um, they don't have the flexibility to bend their knee and lift their foot high enough to get on a train or, a, you know, a high van, a car van. And so we know right then, oh, got to go in there and do really targeted exercises on the hamstrings. That would be an example. Yeah, which presumably also reduces the risk of falls because oh, people are able, able to lift their legs over steps and things like that. Correct. Do you think, too, that that sort of program actually helps to modify people's brains such that they're still more engaged with their body and able to keep it functioning better? Oh, I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, thought you might be when I saw the word kinesiology. <laughs> I just uh, recently wrote a, co-wrote a book called In Full Bloom. It's brain education. Right. I was going to get on to this. Yeah. And um, actually, we all know to, be, to exercise and to eat better, but we don't do it. A lot of people just don't do it. This is true. And, and we know that because the brain is responsible not only for memory, but all our thoughts and our feelings and whether we choose mm. to exercise or not. So, first of all, I believe that changing the way in which you think mm. is going to have an impact on not only your emotional state, but how, what actions you choose to do or not do. Mm. So, I, I really think it starts off there. Now, of course, the more complex the physical activity and the more thought and focus that you have on those movements, it improves different parts of your brain. Mm. In fact, some of the latest research is showing that it reduces your risk not only for cognitive problems, but even Alzheimer's. Mm. And that's kind of revolutionizing uh, in the last couple years as far as the research showing that. So I'm really excited about uh, the importance, the important role of exercise in improving not only your emotional state in your brain, but the memory and the functions. Mm. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reed, and we're discussing successful aging and exercise with Dr. Jesse Jones. So, Dr. Jones, you were saying that the new research is saying that if we, if you like, utilize our body in a certain way, it can actually help with our cognitive functions. 
Have you got any explanation for that yourself, how that might work? Uh, oh, sure. Uh, well, not only does it improve the blood flow to the brain... Okay, so it, that's one of the ways it could work. Yeah. And then we have um, in our brain different types of neurotransmitters. A couple of the important ones are serotonin and dopamine. And they're very connected with our mood state. So what happens there is um, it helps to improve the mood state or, say, the area of the brain that is in the limbic system. And there's uh, there's so much to say about how exercise improves. But I would say one other one that I would mention is there's this was referred to as brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Think Mm -hmm. of it like a chemical in the brain Mm -hmm. that's responsible for helping to develop new neurons or new neural connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's highly related to that. And we know through exercise that improves levels of that chemical in the brain. Okay. So if you're sedentary, you have lower levels. Absolutely. All right. And we can, we can think of our, our brain as another organ in our body and yes. that, just like the muscle, is going to atrophy yes. that we see with sedentary behaviors. Yes, exactly. Well, I think what we don't realize is that you remodel your body, you know, the longest every five years, even as you age. Well, a lot of people don't know that. Mm, and I think that's the thing, that's the key piece, isn't it, that uh, staying fit longer is a lot to do with an attitude. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned attitude too. <laughs> yeah, that is the. I talk about um, the attitude of gratitude, or also the attitude of having uh, true grit. I don't know if yes. in Australia you hear the word true grit, but it, yeah, I think I we hear <laughs> Winston Churchill too. Never, ever, ever, ever give up. Yeah, that that can-do attitude. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that basically is what you altered in those nursing home people. People. You you didn't have that attitude when you went in, whereas a lot of people did. Yeah, uh, you know, their self-esteem was so low. Yes. Had no hope. Well, when you're terribly dependent on others, that tends to happen, yeah? Oh, yeah. You feel useless. So that's another thing that the exercise classes actually foster. So do people, um, once you've done the test, and uh, I don't really know, in the States probably the people that do the test are exercise physiologists. Is that the case? Uh, you know, what's interesting is that the tests are so easy to do. Mm. So what you're kind of hoping is that personal trainers and things will adopt this and start to use it in people not just that want to lose weight, etc., but in people that want to age healthily. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And in fact... So it's an attitude you're trying to develop. <laughs> yeah, that, that type of attitude. Even older adults uh, can do this test on each other. That's how easy okay. it is to do. Okay. Very little equipment. Okay, so this physical activity instruction of older adults, you shouldn't be scared off by it being a book for people who train people. It could be a book about training yourself. Absolutely. That's okay. the way it, it was written, you know, for for family members to help each other. Mm, fabulous. And for how long each day do you consider it appropriate to exercise or does it 
help people to become aware of their bodies such that they're really in touch with this whenever they move? Uh, that's a little difficult to answer. However, uh, depending on where they're starting out and their medical conditions, mm-hmm. uh, you want to gradually move up to ideally somewhere around 40 minutes, 45 minutes on uh, most days of the week, be mm-hmm. somewhat physically active. But you can do that little spurts throughout the day, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, and then gradually work up to a little bit longer at one time. Um, There's many medical conditions that can exasperate their symptoms if they do too much at one time. Right, so that's where the fitness test that you do initially comes in and the specified activity depending on where you, what your score is from the test. Mm-hmm. Ideally, I try to encourage people to do some type of mind-body exercise to get started okay. uh, to help with their breathing okay. and their mind function. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a little bit easier as far as on the body itself mm. and then gradually move on and add in maybe the strength training and a little bit more of a um, an aerobic component. Okay, so some of our listeners may not be aware of what is a mind-body exercise. Do you mind just explaining that term? Sure. This would be uh, activities like yoga, the tai chi. Uh, there's another uh, type of activity called qigong. Uh, it might be... Even Pilates is now considered a, a more of a mind-body uh, type. It is utilizing your mind to control or to hopefully calm your stress, mm-hmm. calm your system while you work on your body. Okay, so it's better to do your physical activity when you're in a calm state? In a calm, uh, focused state, we find that with research is that the most improvements that we see in brain function is one when you focus and be a t- have attention on the body part that's moving, that it activates the brain more when you actually focus on that movement and not have your thoughts flying out, you know, like, oh, gosh, i got to go do grocery shopping or, oh, my grandchildren's this or that. It's focusing in on what you're doing. Focusing in the now, yeah. So focusing on the actual body is good for you? Absolutely, because then it's going to activate the brain. And it's a part of the brain that's important to overall well-being. Yeah, because every body part is connected to the brain. But mm. in order to, for the brain to have a chain, your mind needs to be focused on that body part. So every time you're moving a part, your mind is focused on that part. And from the research, that's shown that you improve your strength, balance. It's body awareness. Yeah, body awareness. Uh, your ability to do different functions of daily living because there can be changes in the neural connections in the brain 
only when you are moving the body parts and really focusing in on what you're doing. Then you develop new neuron connections to respond to your environment. That's why you practice many times and exercise what the environmental challenge may be in, in a balance situation, like stepping off a curb and then a car coming, you have to step back really quickly. Well, you would practice that in an exercise environment, focus in on it, develop new neuron connections, and then when that situation comes up in real life, then you're able to respond quicker to that situation because you have that neural connection. Mm. It's like if you trip over a cord or a toy or a dog in order to have that neural connection because, as you know, and we don't use it, we start losing those neural connections. I was just thinking that. I think that's probably a big part of this, isn't it, is that we have come from being hunter-gatherers, cultivators, right the way through now to people who use our mind to get our food and we don't do a lot of physical activity to get our food. That's a, a really good way of looking at it, Dr. Reed. That's perfect. Yeah. So so what we're having to do is switch back on our bodies <laughs> if we want to survive longer. Well, yeah, we go on autopilot so much. And exactly. Because everything yeah. for us, you know, and so our brains get lazy. And mm. not only our body that gets lazy, it's our, our brains are lazy. Yeah, interesting. I actually work a lot with Aboriginal people in Central Australia who really only stopped living a nomadic lifestyle, probably, well, this generation, no, but the generation previously, you know, 60, 70 years ago. And that's a very arid landscape. So for 40,000 years, they fed themselves out of it. And uh, that is one of my main uh, issues, <laughs> mm. if you like, is thinking about that. So I guess that's why I've done a bit of thinking about that lately, just how little we use our bodies comparatively or our ingenuity as well. Well, there's a, a saying that uh, technology has engineered out our necessity to move. Yeah, and I suppose we don't give a lot of credence to the necessity to move, but what you've come across is, no, in fact, it is essential to move and keep moving and be aware of that movement. Yeah, uh, the key is awareness of the movement itself instead of being subconsciously moving, but be conscious of your movement. Okay. You're listening to Wellbeing, I'm Dr Virginia Reed, and I'm discussing ageing, exercise and how we can improve our health outcomes with Dr Jessie Jones. And I noticed that you talk about resistance training. It seems that that is an essential component of any healthy ageing training program. Do you mind just explaining what resistance training is? Yeah, it is basically you can use some type of machine, or you can use your own body weight. Uh, I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. is a, a push-up, whether you're doing it against the wall or against a, a slant board or the floor. It is something your body is not quite used to lifting or pulling or pushing. Uh, think of it that way. Mm. And, you know, I've studied the effects of the importance of of uh, muscle function, not only muscle function, but the metabolism mm. part of a muscle and how important that is for reducing risk for diseases 
a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know that your muscles are the main reserve for amino acids, and that's like protein, mm. and that almost all your body tissue are constantly needing to be supplied with amino acids, like your heart, your brain, your liver, your skin. And most people are deficient in the protein intake, what they're eating. They're not getting enough or the right types of protein, which is reduced down into amino acids when it's absorbed, uh, when it's broken down in the body. And so when you have a deficiency there, it causes all kinds of problems for you uh, because when you're under the stress response, and that's not only mental stress. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, I'm stressed. I need to do coping. Yeah, exactly. Stress can be disease or injury to the body or illness. Those are all stressors. And it places a greater demand on the need for amino acids. And so if you don't have enough storage of amino acids in your muscles, then you start having problems in the function of your organs. And a lot of people end up, there's a direct link to certainly obesity, diabetes, and even Alzheimer's, and heart disease, of course, um, with the integrity of your muscles. So that's, I always say, extremely important that you do resistance training. Mm-hmm. Is diabetes a problem over in Australia? Oh, certainly. We well, have the same rate of obesity and overweight as, as in the United States. And, of course, hand um, in hand with that goes insulin resistance and diabetes. Maybe if the listeners understand that resistance training helps to improve the ability of the body to utilize insulin to bring down blood sugar and that when you have atrophy of your muscles, you are actually putting yourself at greater risk for diabetes. Mm. And uh, that's just one important point why um, resistance training is important. The obvious, of course, is that improves your ability to do activities of daily living, but, you know, we got to look at all the other... You know, one thing I just read that was very important, I think your listeners might uh, be interested in, is that people who have cancer, that the reoccurrence or mm. the survival rate of people with cancer are worse for people who have was referred to as sarcopenia, a, a great, great loss of muscle tissue. So, in other words, your survival rate of not only cancer but other diseases mm-hmm. is directly correlated with the integrity of the muscle. Mm. I mean, the argument that a lot of medical practitioners put forward there is that we know that that's an effect of the cancer itself, as in cachexia. What do you say to, ha- to that? You know, you do get muscle wasting once people are in the terminal illness stage. Yeah. That's what that, I get thrown at me. A, well, there's such a great... Remember I talked about that uh, stress state. Uh, we're in the disease. Sure, sure. Oh, look, I couldn't agree more. But what I throw back at them is that the breast cancer survival rates are a lot better 
for people who actually join a support group or exercise. And if you look at that effect, it far outweighs a lot of the chemotherapeutic trials, et cetera, that we have here or the, you know, the uh, anti-estrogen drugs. And yet do we hear about those trials? No, we do not. And it far outweighs them. So if we advertise them as, you know, a, um, a, a new treatment for breast cancer, we would be doing beta. And that I find stunning, personally. Well, when you think that uh, there, there's not very much funding for the exercise in the mind, the cognitive behavioral types of therapies, there's a lot of money in it for the drugs. Yeah. Uh, so that's Need we true. say that? <laughs> I think most people <laughs> are in agreement, but uh, doing the exercise is, is, is probably why we keep swallowing the drugs. And so is In Full Bloom a brain education guide for successful ageing? Is that where you discuss these particular exercises that you just referred to? Yes, I um, describe several different types of exercises uh, that are very easy to do. Uh, a couple of them. Um, one is referred to as, and you might have heard of this before, a vibrational, vibrational type of movement, and that is, if you stand with your feet uh, shoulder width apart and bend your knees slightly, and then you just start bouncing your knees and letting your shoulders relax and kind of bounce. I, I do it to uh, drum music, like mm-hmm. drumming music, a um, uh, heavy drum music. And mm. then you let your head move slightly down, and you just relax everything in your body, and you kind of like press on the bottom of your feet while you are, are uh, bouncing. Mm-hmm. That it helps to stimulate what is called to the brain stem which is now getting a lot of focus in research. Uh, the importance of the brainstem has to do with, like, our autonomic nervous system mm. and helping to calm our body. Mm. It's the one that gets really switched into a particular part of the autonomic system, isn't it? With stress, well, the sy- sympathetic system, the adrenaline fight-or-flight response. Many of our... our um, Indigenous tribes do vibrational work. Yes. And, and, you know, people don't think of it as exercise, but yet it is. It's moving mm. the body to improve, to calm us, mm. bring us in a more natural healing state. Yes, that's the important thing to point out, isn't it? That is the healing state. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why I like mind-body exercises so much, is mm-hmm. because it helps to calm the sympathetic nervous system, mm. to reduce levels of the cortisol that damages the brain, mm. because in that state is the healing state. Mm. And exercise can do that for you, particularly these mind-body exercises. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion, and I'm sure there's a lot we haven't said. So what's a way for the listeners to access more of this information? Do you have a website? Um, well, certainly, as far as the book, you can go to Amazon.com um, right. or In Full Bloom. Mm-hmm. And um, my website is at Cal State Fullerton. So that's, sorry, just spell that out for us if you wouldn't mind. Okay, it's just, actually, you can just go to Fullerton.com. Mm-hmm. 
That's with a double L, isn't it? Um, excuse mm-hmm. me. Fullerton.edu. Okay. Edu. Okay. Okay. Right, so it's www.fullerton.com. Okay. And we can try and get that for listeners anyway if people want to call in. And you can order the books, The In Full Bloom, A Brain Education Guide for Successful Aging, which Dr. Jessie Jones has co-authored with Dr. Ilchi Lee as well as Physical Activity Instruction of Old Adults by Dr. Jessie Jones and Deborah J. Rose. Well, I thank you very much for, I'm sure, an area that will get a lot more concentration and effort over the years to come with the ageing population that we have. Well, thank you, Dr. Reed. Just tell your listeners there's so much we can do to improve our own health. Mm, absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Much appreciated. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Aging exercise and how we can improve our health outcomes with Dr. Jessie Jones. Thank you for listening to Wellbeing, and from all of us here, we wish you well.